may be seated here tonight here. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 7. And I heard Brother Dave mention about a nap, and uh, I had my nap. I always get my Sunday afternoon nap. It it didn't do me much good, though, today. I'm I'm, uh, kind of mellow tonight and a little little tired myself. If I understand the glorified body properly, when we get to heaven, we'll be supermen like all the time. It's hard to comprehend that, of course, you know, uh, to be uh, up in uh, Adam and be... uh, uh, never tired and always happy and so forth. Uh, we just got to do that for a whole eternity, of course. And so I uh, look forward to that, obviously. And we can't even begin to comprehend, can we? But uh, Revelation 7 tonight. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 9 here. I'm going to let you remain seated as we read the scripture here. Just in review here, two weeks ago we preached on chapter 6, of course, obviously. Come and see was our message title. We preached on the four horsemen of the Revelation. And, of course, the red, the white horse we identified as the future coming Antichrist after the rapture of the church. And then we looked at the red horse, which is a horse of war, and the black horse, uh, representative of famine and, and pestilence. And then, of course, the pale horse, representative of death, one-fourth of the uh, Earth's planet, or uh, Earth's people on planet Earth will be killed in tribulation hours. to say, assume there are six billion people on planet Earth after the rapture takes place, and 1.5 billion, one-quarter of them will uh, in the early years, I believe, year, first year or so of the uh, tribulation period will be uh, uh, meet their fate, of course. And, and then we read about the fifth and sixth seal. We just touched on them. We just glance at verses uh, 9 and referring to chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11, we see the uh, sixth seal there. We see the seal of the martyrs in heaven. The martyrs before the tribulation, and then, of course, the, the fellow servants that get martyred during the tribulation period uh, time here. And we'll talk a little bit more about them in a few moments here as we get into the message. Then chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, is the sixth seal that the angel of the Lord opened, of course. And uh, we believe that's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously. And uh, the sixth seal is that of catastrophic atmospheric events that takes place both in heaven and on the earth. That brings us to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is a, what we call a parenthetical chapter. It's, uh, the sixth seal ends, of course, obviously in chapter 6, verse 17. The seventh seal, we, find, we don't find until we get to chapter 8. Just glance at chapter 8, verse 1. And he opened the seventh seal. And so chapter 7 is a, a parenthesis of sorts. And it's, this chapter is divided into two divisions. The divisions are real easy. It's, you see in verse number 1, and after these things. Notice, go over to verse number 9, and we'll look at both these verses tonight. But the Bible says, after this I beheld. And we see this two divisions. We see the first division, verses 1 through 8, after these things. And we'll look at that tonight here in, in the main body of our message. In fact, 90% of our message will be right here. On regards to the first division that we see in this chapter of the children of Israel. The second division is, look at verse number 9, and it talks about a great multitude. And with that said here, let's read our scripture tonight here. and um, Let's read responsively, I guess, in verses 1 to 9. And uh, allow me to begin in verse 1 and read the four even-numbered verses with me, verses 2, 4, 6, and 8, please. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. 
And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the seal, sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephtalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon was sealed, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. May God have blessed in the reading of his word. Let's, let's make our prayer as we look tonight at the, the Jews, Jesus, are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let's have our prayer. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit of God, I need your strength here tonight, dear God. I pray for uh, wisdom and Understanding, dear God, a clarity of thought and mind, dear God, it might be disseminated. We might disseminate the word of God tonight, in power and in unction, and dear God, and in truth. We'll thank you for it, Lord. Pray you bless in our moments together. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's begin right away in verse number one. Notice what it says. And after these things, after what things? Well, the the first six seals again, the four horsemen of the Revelation, the beginning days and months and maybe a year or so of the tribulation period of time, the seven-year tribulation. After these things, I saw four angels, John seeing the Revelation, four different angels evidently, standing on the four corners of the earth, not the four horsemen, that's totally different uh, creatures and beings or personalities, one being the Antichrist, of course, and three being the so we already uh, summarized these four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. The number four is the number of this world. Four in biblical numerology represents the, the universality of God's administrative, administration over the earth. See, how do we get that? Well, we could go to Daniel 7 tonight. We won't for the sake of time, but Daniel sees the prophets. The prophets saw four winds in Daniel 7, striving over the sea, the tumultuous sea. And the turb- out of the turbulence comes four beasts. And those four beasts are, of course, the four world Roman empire, world empires that uh, Daniel, the revelator of the prophets, saw. Of course, the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire and the... the uh, the Syrian Empire and the, uh, the Roman Empire and the revived Roman Empire. Of course, we see that two other times in the book of Daniel. But four times we see four winds and uh, we see four great empires, four beasts in Daniel 7. 
Here in our verse, we see four corners, the four corners of the earth. People like to mock the Bible. They say, well, see, they, they thought the earth was flat. No, it's a, it was a figure of speech, obviously, four corners of the earth. And let me prove that to you. In chapter 20, verse 8, it talks about the four quarters of the earth, the four sections of the earth. Where, so we read about four quarters or four corners. And then four winds. When we think of a compass, we have northeast, south, and west, four directions. And so God, we see these four winds over four quarters, over four corners of the earth, and the four angels have power over this wind in every direction over the earth. You know, we had the meteorologists, and they give us a weather report, of course, and we saw that the big storm that came a couple, three days ago missed most of us, of course. I'm talking about the storm that happened two and a half days, three days ago, started in Texas and went all the way up through... Almost got to New England, but it just fizzled out, of course. We had a nice day today, of course. But the winds blow different concurrent winds all over the, the planet. Can you imagine a day or days that come when there's no wind whatsoever? And these four angels are holding back the wind from the earth. Um, the, the earth speaks of, we see four places where the... the uh, the, the wind is held back from the earth, of course. And the earth is, speaks of settled government. He'll give, no, he'll give them no heavenly wisdom. When the Holy Spirit of God leaves this earth, and Christians leave this earth, this, these worlds, these nations are going to be run by godless people, by uh, ungodly people. And the, whole, the winds of the Holy Spirit of God and the wisdom of the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. They're not going to have the wisdom of the, the breath of the Holy One. It's not going to blow. The, the literal winds will not blow, and it will not blow in the re- direction of human government. There'll be no, no um, help there in, with human government. They're on their own. They're, they're, they're going to be falling after the Antichrist. And so the wind, the earth speaks of settled government. Nor, nor will the wind blow on the sea. The sea in the Scriptures represents the restlessness and confusion of man. He will, as Hosea says, he will leave them alone. He will let them alone. Ephraim is cake not turn. Let, let, let them alone, the Bible says. And, and man, he's going to be le- they're going to be left to their foolish devices. And then the wind won't blow on the trees and uh, represents the majesty and dignity and culture of the civilization and the beauty and glory of man. And the, the winds of God's creative splendor will cease to blow in this hour of tribulation. And so the winds won't blow on government. They won't blow on the people, so to speak. They won't literally uh, through the land and the vegetation and the trees. No, no, no winds will blow. And the angels are holding back this wind for the great turbulent, the great, the great storm that's coming. And as we go through the revelation, we get to chapter uh, we, when we get to chapter 13, we're going to see the great tribulation that comes, the second half of the tribulation as it comes. And the first, second half of the tribulation will make the first half of the tribulation look like a Sunday school picnic, kid stuff, compared to, comparatively speaking. And these angels hold back these winds. When we get to verse number 2, it says, And I saw another angel, a fifth angel, if we could say it that way, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. And notice what he says, saying, hurt not the earth. Don't hurt the earth. We've had, we've had six sealed judgments already take place. 
the four horsemen, the, the, the martyrs that are start, starting to start to accumulate and the fellow servants of verse 11 of chapter 6. And then we see the catastrophic events of heaven and the earth in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 6. And now he says, Heard not the earth, time out. Don't let the winds blow. Until, verse number 3, we have sealed the servants of God, of our God, in their foreheads. And so we see this, God's chosen must be, receive a mark. We're going to talk about another mark, the mark of the beast here as we get to we'll go forward in chapter 13 of Revelation, obviously. We all know that mark. We talk about it a lot, a lot the mark of the beast, and familiar to many people in the world. And it's number 666. So God has a mark for his people, a mark of ownership, a mark of security, a covenant mark. In the Old Testament, um, God has his chosen people. They were, they were called the Israelites. And they had a covenant uh, identification. Every boy, male boy, Jewish male boy was to be circumcised on the eighth day, obviously. Slaves and uh, servants, in the, that's not politically correct now, but in uh, servants, whether they be Jew or Gentile in a, in a Jewish home, they, could, they were marked with a, an all or an earring in their ear, of course. And down through history, there's been marks of identification. There's going to be a mark given, a seal given to all the servants of God. He's, they're going to be known as God's children, servant, identified, protected, uh, not from martyrdom or suffering, but from the wrath of God poured out without mixture later on in this, this book of Revelation. And so these, these saints are going to be, these tribulation Christians are going to be marked by the seal, and they're going to be protected. And I mentioned it this morning, and I'll say it again so you understand. You say, preacher, they're going to be martyred. They're going to be killed. And for, to, for, us to live to, to, for us to live is Christ, but to die is gain again. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We've been living in a society for the last two years that's terrified of death. And people don't want to die. And even Christians don't want to die. Well, death wears thy sting, 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, grave wears thy victory. Paul said, I have a desire, desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. Uh, we're, we, we should be looking forward to the day that we... Death is for the Christians. It's just exchanging residencies. That's all it is. From this earth to the heaven to come forever and ever and ever. Look forward to that. So we see this... This, this marking of God's servants and this interlude in this time of great tribulation and the, the winds are not going to blow. And then we see verse number four. Notice it with me, verses four to verse eight. We won't read them all for time's sake and we don't need to read them all. It just says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of Israel. And then we have the list of the 12 tribes listed here, and 12,000 of each tribe. Now here's the question tonight, or one of our first questions. Who is this 144,000? Well, if you attend the Kingdom Hall down the street, you are told that uh, Jehovah false witnesses, that you want to strive to be, get out of the Jonadab class, as they call it, be one of the 144,000 witnesses of the Lord. They call themselves witnesses. They believe they're, this, they, they spiritualize the book of Revelation, and they are the 144,000 witnesses. The Seventh-day Adventists, 100 plus years ago, their founder and 
many, many Seventh-day Adventists, Orthodox Seventh-day Adventists, believe that they are, they are the ones, the Sabbath keepers, and they are the ones that are the, the real 144,000. They spiritualize Revelation. Uh, the preterist, we've talked about the preterist, not uh, predators of uh, uh, children in, in sex traffic, pardon the language, but uh, the preterist as in believing that everything that happened in Revelation happened in the first century. They spiritualized Revelation. This is all spiritual allegory, mythical, mystical. And the, 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 the 144,000 have already been, as far as they're concerned. And they believe it's, and many preterists believe it's talking about Christians or the church in general. The dispensationalist, or excuse me, the covenant theologian, most covenant theology uh, theologians, in fact, Brother Dave mentioned this morning in Sunday school class, he mentioned about replacement theology. And uh, they believe that, uh, you know, uh, when you study World War II history, you say, how can the Church of Germany, the Lutheran Church, the state church, how could they look the other way when they knew what was happening in their villages and around Germany and uh, the Auschwitz and uh, the, the, the death camps, the Nazi death and extermination camps, they saw it all lead up. How could they let that happen? The belief in what's known as replacement theology, that the Jews, the Jews that claim to be Jews are of the synagogue of Satan, Revelation chapter 3, and uh, that the real Jews are spiritual, or we're the spiritual Jews, that the church is now Israel. And there are many people in covenant theology that believe that, that Israel is the church today. And uh, that the, the Jews that say they're Jews are just of the synagogue of Satan. And they, they, it's called replacement theology. And there's so many different variants and isms and schisms of that. But we're asked the question, who are these 144,000? Is it spiritualized? Is it the Jehovah Witnesses? Is it the Seventh-day Adventist? Is it the, the, the preterist? Is it, was it all first century Christians? Was it, was it the church? Is it spiritualized? No. We've, we're, we're futurists, we're dispensationalists, and we've said one of the rules of biblical interpretation. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. This is talking about, as it transitions now, these servants of God, these elected servants of God, they're, they're chosen, and they're known before the foundation of the world, by the way. You and I were, that are in Christ, we're known before the foundation of the world. The God that knows all things knows who's going to be saved and who isn't going to be saved. That's true. And he's referring to this, this passage of Scripture buttresses the truth that this is the time of the 70th week of Daniel. I want you to go quickly to Daniel chapter 9 real quickly, if you would, please. Daniel chapter 9. And look at verses 24 to 27. The final week of Daniel... I'm going to do this quickly here. We could spend the rest of our message right here, but we'll try to do it in about 90 seconds, two minutes. But Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. The prophet here sees words. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Now let me translate. One week is seven years. Seventy weeks is 490 years. 490 years are determined upon thy people. And, and, uh, and the Bible says, upon thy people, the, the reference there is to the children of Israel, and upon the holy city, or thy holy city. What's the holy city of Israel? Jerusalem. Not Tel Aviv, by the way, it's Jerusalem. And the Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And to finish the transgression and make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness 
and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy one. Sometimes in one verse, God says he gives a whole panoramic view of history. This is one of those verses. He says, uh, 70 weeks are determined upon the people, and it's starting with the rebuilding of the temple wall, or the, the walls of Jerusalem, of course. And it goes all the way to the time of Christ. But then he talks about the everlasting peace that shall come in. When Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is another passage of Scripture that talks about a panoramic view of history. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Is, uh, is uh, Lord Jesus Christ, is he a governor of any state in, in America? Is he the uh, president of a country? No. The, the kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord. He's not on the throne right now. But the... the He's not on the governmental throne of, on earth. But the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and kingdom, there shall be no end. We see the prophecy of Jesus Christ was given, Isaiah 7 I'm talking about now, or 9, chapter 9. It was given 700 years before Christ came to the earth, but it was a picture of Christ coming to the earth. Just like Daniel chapter 7, or Daniel chapter 9, excuse me, is a picture of Christ coming to the earth in his first advent and then his second advent. And here we see back to Daniel chapter 9, uh, it says this, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild, to build Jerusalem, unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven years and threescore and two, two weeks. That's 423 years, I believe it is. And the streets shall be built again in, in the wall, even in troublous times. From about, I don't have my dates here in front of me. I should have got them, but I think from about 445 BC to, or 424 BC to the time we get to uh, uh, Christ coming. And then we have seven weeks of time. It says uh, seven more weeks or 49 years. Seven times seven is 49, of course. And it says uh, after verse number 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, after, and, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Uh, the reference to the Messiah being cut off is when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. 483 years to be exact were prophesied by the prophet. This is first 69 weeks took place from uh, the rebuilding of the, the command to rebuild the city of Jerusalem until Christ was offered up on the cross of Calvary for our sins. He was cut, not cut off. He didn't die for himself. He died for us. And then it talks about the, the prince. Fast forward to 2022 and beyond, somewhere beyond after the rapture. The, 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 the prince, uh, the, the people of the prince that's talking about this tribulation hour. Shall come and destroy the city and sanctuary. In verse 27, for time's sake. And he shall confirm, that's the prince, the, people, the prince of the people, or the Antichrist, the covenant with many for one week. We see that alluded to in the, the white horse, the Antichrist, in Revelation 6.1 again. How he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. And it's going to last for three and a half years, but then he's going to break the peace. He's going to come in with a bow, no arrow. Remember, this. and he's not going to keep his peace covenant. In the middle of the week, he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And, and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. 
But back to, let's go back to Revelation chapter uh, 7 if you're there. And back to who are these verses 4 to 8, these 144,000. I'm building a case here. These are the people that come in the 70th final week of Daniel. We know it as the seven-year tribulation period of time. The seven-year tribulation period of time is distinctly Jewish. Get that down. It's very important. You want a verse? It's Jeremiah chapter 30, verse number 7. The, the tribulation hour is called the time of Jacob's trouble, time of Israel's trouble. This is The church is out of here. We've already looked at this in Revelation chapter 3, the last verses of the chapter, we see the church annexed. And immediately we get to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. John's in the spirit and we don't see the church no more. Why? Because we're out of here. We're delivered from the day of wrath. And so we come back to the original question seven minutes ago now. Who are these 144,000? You can spiritualize it if you want to, but you're... you're it's not a bad word. I'm going to use the word bastardizing. You're bastardizing the word of God. You're, you're, you're corrupting the word of God. And uh, it's, it's not the Jehovah Witnesses. It's not the Seventh-day Adventists. It's not the Preterist. It's not the early church of the first century. It's not the church, uh, the replacement church of replaced Israel. None of that's true. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. The Bible says, one more time, that 144,000 of, of the tribes of the children of Israel... Who are these 144,000? There are the tribes of the children of Israel. The Bible tells us that. And then they give us the list of these 12 tribes. Now, verse number 5, for time's sake, and of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise, were sealed 12,000. And of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000, etc., etc. Gad and Asher and Naphtali. And we see the tribe of Joseph. We'll get to that in a minute here. And we're, we're, we see these, these, in each one of these tribes, there's 12,000 from each tribe. Now, the Jews have lost their lineage. Their genealogy has been corrupted somewhat. But God knows, uh, the Jews today, you ask Jews, are you, what tribe are you of? Are the tribe of Zebulun or the tribe of Gad or the tribe of Asher or the tribe of Judah? What tribe are you of? They don't know. But God knows. And if God, you know, uh, I mean, I used to think I was more German-oriented, but then my kids did uh, one of those 23andMe things. And uh, through DNA, I understand I got some Polish in me, so there. And uh, if 23andMe are right, DNA, DNA uh, gene, however that works, if they, they can tell us where our, our heritage from, so our ethnicity comes from, how much more can the God of the universe know exactly where our DNA came from and what tribe we belong to and what tribes... Uh, these children of Israel belong to. Again, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. But this number 12 is distinctly a Jewish number. We read about the 12 tribes. In Matthew 19 and verse number 28, Jesus said the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The Old Testament high priest, he wore the Urim and the Thummim, the breastplate. Remember how many stones they had in it? Twelve, of course, and every, every stone represented what? One of the twelve tribes of Israel. The table of showbread in the Old Testament tabernacle had how many loaves of bread on it? Twelve loaves of bread for the twelve tribes of Israel. In the New Jerusalem, fast-forwarding in Revelation, we have the, the twelve gates of the city of New Jerusalem representing the twelve tribes. And so we see this twelve. It's Jewish. 
We see the 144,000 of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And I want to interject at this point in time, the Lord is not done with Israel yet. God's not working through Israel like he used to work through Israel. Basically, and I'm painting with a broad brush, the dispensationalist that I am, I admit, but in the Old Testament, God dealt with almost exclusively, not exclusively, but almost exclusively, one general group of people, the Jew. In the New Testament, especially when we get the book of the Acts, we see that he dealt with one group of people. Remember when Paul shook off the dust off his feet and he said uh, he quit going to the synagogue when Paul went to town first. Remember, the, the gospel came to the who first, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. We see a transition in Acts where the gospel went from the Jews to the Gentiles. And right now we are currently in, we call it the age of the church age. We call this the age of grace. Not that there's not grace in every other age as well. But Luke 24, 20, 21, 24 calls it the time of the Gentiles. And even more succinct, let me quote you a verse. What, what, what's happening right now? What, what time period are we in right now in 2022, February 6th? We are, according to Romans eleven twenty-five. it says, For I would not, brethren, that ye be ignorant. Paul's talking to, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, it's a, parentheses in the book of Romans, and it's dealing with the nation of Israel. He's talking to the Jews. He said, For I would not have you, brethren, to be, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. What's the mystery? This is the church age, this age of the Gentiles, this time of the Gentiles. Lest ye should be in any wise, should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Once we are caught up, us Gentile, our, there's Jews, Jewish believers in Christ as well, of course, us, the, the church of Jesus Christ, when we're caught up together, we're raptured, First Thessalonians 4. We'll be caught up once we're taken out of the way, Second Thessalonians 2, and then we're, we're caught away and we're taken out of the way and this world is plunged into this darkness. Then the Lord, with, with a supernatural visitation, will work through his people once again. And he works specifically through these 12,000 of each tribe, these witnesses of we read about in verses 5 through 8. Now, if you go through the, the list, first of all, we see the tribe of Joseph. There is no tribe of Joseph that we know of. Or he, Joseph had two sons. What were his sons' names? Ephraim and Manasseh. We see Manasseh in the list, but we don't see Ephraim. Ephraim was a generic name for all the Israel many times. Ephraim is cake not turned, Hosea, I believe it says. The uh, Lord said, let him alone. Sometimes when God spoke about Ephraim, he was speaking about all of Israel. Sometimes he was speaking to the tribe of Ephraim, which is right in the dead center, pretty much the very basic, very middle of what we know of today is, is Israel. And... Uh, so Ephraim is not mentioned. And, uh, but he's, Ephraim comes from the loins of Joseph. And then another tribe, Dan, is not mentioned. When I was in Israel, I referenced it this morning. We went to Caesarea Philippi. We read about Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was in Matthew, uh, Caesarea Philippi in Dan. It's north of the, it's a very northern part of Israel. So up past north of the Sea of Galilee. And if you Google Caesarea Philippi like I did, no, I 
pardon me, I'm binging now. I'm binging and I'm duck, duck, doing. I'm not Googling anymore. Don't Google anymore. Okay. But uh, I binged, I binged it. And I guess I'm so used to saying Google it. I binged it. And uh, you bing Caesarea Philippi, and it'll come right up on the screen. Hit the images. And I stood right there. Sonny and I stood right there. They'll take you on a tour. If you go to Israel, it'll probably be the second day of the tour. And uh, you see Jesus stood in front of what we call, what was known as the gates of hell. The best way I can explain it, it was, it was it, there's children here, and so I'll be a little bit clean, as, as clean as I can be. But Caesarea Philippi was Las Vegas, and I'm putting it mildly, of, of Israel. It was the very northern tribe. Dan apostated themselves. Ephraim apostated himself, and they went after idols. And this is conjecture, admittedly, but Ephraim and Dan are not mentioned of these 12 tribes. Now, here's what I think. Here's what I believe from reading commentaries and scholars far more than I could ever be. But many biblical scholars believe that that Ephraim and Dan are not mentioned because they went into apostasy, they went into idolatry, and that they will help usher in the Antichrist in the coming age. Remember, all of Jesus had how many disciples again? Twelve. Not all of them was a true disciple. There was one, what was his name again? Judas Iscariot. He was the son of perdition. The Lord knew it all along. He wasn't, wasn't really a, a, an apostle of the Lord. He really wasn't a saved man. He's not in heaven. He's been in hell. Many people believe that the Antichrist will be in, reincarnated by, or the, the Judas Iscariot will be the Antichrist, coming Antichrist. We don't know that. I don't know that. And the Bible doesn't say that, of course. But he's called the son of perdition. And scholars believe that maybe these apostate Jews of the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe that went to, into idolatry God said, let him alone. And Daniel then went into great apostasy. God said, enough. God took his hands off. And they're not mentioned in this list. And today, I think of some wicked, there's many wicked Jewish people today. I'm, there's many wicked Gentile people today. But I think one of the most wicked men on earth is a guy named George Soros. George Soros is a, is a, is a Jew. He's a Jew, but he's a Jew hater. He, he, he loves the Palestinians. He hates his own people. And he's wreaking havoc. And uh, I'm not, there's no embellishment. This is not right-wing conspiracies talking. This is, if you do any reading and do any parallel studies and find out modern-day political science, you understand that George Soros is behind, he was, uh, uh, behind what I believe is, was a bogus election in 2020. And uh, he, he wrought his evil, and he works his evil today in our courts and our systems around America and around the world, for that matter. And there'll be, there'll be, there's going to be wicked Jews in the tribulation period of time. Not all are going to be uh, serving the Lord. Now that begs the question. Some might say, I thought all Israel would be saved. Isn't that what Romans eleven twenty six says? It says, so then all Israel will be saved. It does say that, by the way. But Romans 9, 6, the Bible clarifies and helps us, we, we interpret, another thing we learned from Brother Dave this morning, we, we interpret Scripture by other Scripture. And Revelation 9, 6, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Not all Israel is true Israel. Some Israelis, Israelis are apostate, and of the, uh, of the wicked seed. And so we go back to this 
So summation, uh, and I'm trying to drive to a, a point here, verses 4 to 8, we read about these 144,000, these 12 tribes, 12,000 Jewish male witnesses. We're going to get to chapter 14 eventually, someday, if Lord Terryson is coming. And we'll read about these Jewish male witnesses in verses uh, 3 and 4. It says that they're males, they're virgins, and they're not known women, and they're holy, and they're clean. And you say, preacher, what kind of Jews are going to get saved and be the evangelist of the tribulation hour? Men, males, holy, virgins, clean, and they're going to have the mark of God upon them. And, uh, and so we ask the question then, so we see these, 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 uh, these the, we're going to see the Jewish Jesus in a minute. They follow, the, they follow the Lamb of God, we're going to find out. They get saved. We ask the question, how, do, uh, how close are we to these 144,000 Jewish evangelists? I want you to turn to one more passage of Scripture. I'm trying to hurry, but I want you to go to Matthew 24 tonight here. And I'll try to do this quickly, but you need to see this passage of Scripture. It's very powerful. I have people tell me, and even in our church, Certain somebody, I'll, I'll tattle on them. I won't tell you who it is, but somebody's here on Sunday morning that seldom comes Sunday night. Good person, great, wonderful Christian, as far as I'm concerned, but they, uh, they're skeptical whether the Lord will come back soon. And I, I feel like the Lord's going to come back sooner than, uh, quicker than, uh, I, know, I know he knows the exact time, but I think, it's, I know this is, is quicker than ever before. <laughs> It's sooner than it's ever been, and his coming is nearer. When you see all these things come to pass, look up for redemption to us nigh. I've never seen in my lifetime we're closer to his coming than ever before. There's no, no, that's a fact. That's a biblical fact. That's a historical, that's a, uh, just a logical fact, of course. We're closer to the coming of Christ. Well, Jesus gives us uh, an inclination when he's coming back in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read all the verses, but verses 20. 9 to 34, I wanted to read. Just glance at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, this is the, the, the culmination of the, of the seven-year tribulation period, the Son of Man shall appear, verse number 30, in heaven. And uh, it's going to be at the end of uh, the tribulation hour of time. Revelation 19 talks about that. His angels will sound a great trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. Verse 31, I'm paraphrasing. And now, now look at verse 32. God gives us a hint. Remember the, in the scriptures, in Revelation, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Uh, you that have a spiritual mind, psst, shh, listen up. I'm going to tell you a sacred secret. It's not to be a secret to God's children, but it's a secret to this. It's, uh, it's uh, not known by this world, and they laugh at it. And here's, here's the little teaser Jesus says in verse number 32, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Now the fig tree is representative of the nation of Israel. When his branches, branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves, yet ye know that summer is nigh. Likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. This hour of working with the, the Jewish people again. and uh, Look at verse number 34. Here's the punchline. Verily I said unto you, this generation, 
shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, the rapture could happen. We're asking the question, how close are we to the 144,000 Jewish witnesses coming to this earth? Well, first of all, the rapture's got to happen. It could happen tonight. After the rapture happens, there's going to be the opening of the four, first four seals, and we're going to see the white horse come to the Antichrist come right on the scene early on. We're, not, we're, going, to, we're going to be in heaven. The church is going to be out of here. And, uh, but then we're going to see this pr- process, and it's going to go fairly fast. And I don't know. I don't have a timeline. I don't, don't know if it's 10 months or a year and a half or two years or uh, Marty Shot guesstimation, six months before uh, so, sometime early on in the first years or months of the tribulation hour. These 44 witnesses, the fifth angel is going to come and he says, Stop. No more destruction. Don't let the winds blow until we seal the foreheads, the seal of the elect, the anointed of God. And uh, this cannot happen. The Bible says this will not take place until the, this generation, as, as uh, verse 34, Verily I say unto you, uh, this generation shall not pass to all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. God gives us an, a, a hint, a, a, a tip, a, a clue when he's coming back. In 1947, February, or March 14th, 1948, excuse me. That is the day I'm trying to teach my little Carter boy, uh, uh, my, grand, my four-year-old grandson, of course. I'm trying to teach him July 4th, 1776. On the way to school, I try to teach him that date. Try to explain. That's Independence Day. Every American needs to know July 4th, 1776. He's four years old. He needs to know that. Every Jew knows when Ben-Gurion, David Ben-Gurion, and the children of Israel raised their flag that they took down the Union Jack and they raised their flag of Israel as their bombs were going off in the background. And the next day there was an attack. Israel was birthed in war on May 14, 1948. Did you know we had a president by the name of Donald Trump and in 19... Or 2018, on May 14th, the, the capital that's been and still is identified by most of the world, Israel's the only place in the world where other people d- d- decide where their capital's going to be. They say it's Tel Aviv. And on May 14th, 2018, 70, day, 70 years to this day, the exact day, America moved their embassy to Jerusalem. God says all these things will come to pass. He says, hint, hint. The nation's going to be rebirthed. Israel's going to come like a young tree again. And this generation is going to come. And these people are going to come. And folks, what I'm trying to tell you, we're close. We're close to the rapture. We're, we don't say we're close to the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation. We're close to the rapture. So let me finish up here and just give me, give me five extra minutes here tonight. Go back to Revelation 7, and I want to just look at a, few, a couple more verses, a couple more thoughts. We'll be done, concluding thoughts. So we see the Jews, Jesus, and these great witnesses. And we see the second half, and we'll do this just in a few moments here, time. Verse number nine. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. First we see a Jewish conclave of 144,000 evangelists. Now we see a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, that stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And these are these that came through the tribulation, it says in verse number 14. 
In, in fact, in verse 13, notice it says in, in verse number 9, it talks about they have white robes. Verse number 13, it says they have white robes. Chapter 7 ends with the fact that the saints have white robes. Verse 14, they, they, they have white robes. Look at verse 14. And I said unto them, Sir, the question is asked, Who are these? The elders, uh, the Old Testament saints in heaven and the, the, the church of Christ that's already in heaven. They say, Who are these that are raved in white robes? That John, John is now seeing in this vision. And it says in verse 14, And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We see this, What shall wash away my sins? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right now, and I, I end with a quick story. If I can do it quickly, I'll try. I was on the plane to India. This is 30 plus years ago. I'm a young, really dumb preacher. Uh, we, Kuwait had just been invaded by Saddam Hussein. And, uh, or Iraq, of course. You know, Kuwait, you know, I got it right. And we flew over four days after. It was August 8th, I think it was. We flew from Heathrow, London Airport to Abu Dhabi and to, uh, in the Middle East, of course, and over Kuwait. And uh, I'm looking at texts here. Obviously, he can relate probably better than anybody. He's been to Afghanistan, of course, and probably hop, skipped, and jumped to Muscat Oman and Abu Dhabi and Bahrain, three stops we made text, of course. And, and we got on the plane, and we went over, and uh, a young, dumb preacher that I was, we had six white Americans, and everybody else was Muslim on the plane. Everybody else, they're all in their full robes and their, their, their sheiks and their, their, their head garments and so forth. And uh, there was a lawyer next to me, and uh, uh, a Kuwaiti lawyer, and we talked to him, and I gave him a track. He gladly took it. He was happy, happy to get a track and uh, tell him about Jesus and so forth. Well, we got on the plane, and I was a young Pakistani boy, was a 20-something-year-old kid, was alongside of me, and I started witnessing to him about Christ. And uh, there's Muslims all around. I didn't even think about it. I was young and dumb. Or maybe I was young and bold. And I, I wouldn't do it today. I'll be honest with you. And I was witnessing to him. I didn't even know I was doing anything wrong. And I'll never forget. Uh, I got interrupted. There were some Muslims behind me. And they said, excuse me, who are you? And they asked me. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I, was, I was completely dumb. You know, I just said, where, where, where are you going? Well, we're going to India. They were on their way to Muscat or wherever they were heading. Uh, and uh, he said, what, what are you doing while we're going over to teach? And uh, I just was totally honest with him. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so they left off, and I went back to witnessing to this young Pakistani. Everything was going all right until I got to the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he shed his blood. And the moment I said something to that effect, these guys behind me in Arabic, or their language, they erupted. They went ballistic, and they, they were talking in their language. Of course, I didn't understand a word they said, but I got the message real fast. They were talking to this Pakistani boy who was across the aisle from me, and, uh, and, uh, and he immediately just turned his head, and didn't say, uh, the conversation was over. I mentioned the blood of Christ, and they got irate. Jews who mentioned the crucifixion of Christ and the blood of the Lamb, they talked about the Passover, 
Jesus is the, the Paschal Lamb. He's the Lamb without spot and blemish. He's the Lamb that taketh away the sins of the world, not covers the sins, but takes away the sins of the world. And these saints are going to be saints that are saved in the tribulation period thanks to these 144,000 Jewish witnesses of all nations and kingdoms and tribes. Gentiles are going to get saved in the tribulation period of time even. We don't think of this age of grace, but people are going to get saved. And uh, you say, well, I thought that God will send a strong delusion. God will send a strong delusion that they believe a lie. I believe everybody that's heard the gospel had an opportunity to receive the gospel and rejected the gospel. Their, their, their minds, will, their full hearts will be darkened and God will not. But those many, many millions of people never heard the gospel of Christ, never heard the need to be born again. They're going to be saved even in the tribulation period of time. And their robes are going to be washed just as white as our robes, uh, washed in the blood of the Lamb, Spotless, clean forever and ever. And I just wanted to end last thought here. And that is, I referred to Revelation 1.5 if you want a text verse or parallel verse to Revelation uh, 7.14. It says, they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Many of these new perversions talk about, in Revelation 1.5, they talk about how they were freed by the blood of the Lamb. And they don't say washed in the blood of the Lamb, but we're going to heaven as freed sinners. We're also going to heaven as washed in the blood of the Lamb, perfect, immaculate blood, sinless blood. And we're going to, we're going to have, we have blood of our fathers and mothers, and that blood's going to kill us one day. There's blood corruption, but we, when we got uh, Jesus Christ, we invited Jesus Christ in our heart, we got a blood transfusion. And we are we're going to be perfect and spotless forever and ever and ever and ever and never die. And all God's people said, Amen. And Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this, this evening. Lord, your people have listened attentively. Lord, we won't be around when these 144,000 are sealed in their foreheads. We won't be around. We'll be in the, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. But God, this is going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. When you see all these things come to pass, the fig tree has been rebirthed. Seventy years, a generation has gone by. Lord, we're into overtime. Lord, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, may we be excited about your coming, dear God. We know you're coming again. Help us to walk with thee in these last but exciting days before the Trump. We'll pray, pray, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing one verse of what we've been singing this song a lot, 125 I'm referring to. Coming again, coming again, Jesus.